0: I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast here on Celtics Blog. You can find us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod. Please rate, review, and subscribe. My name is Josh Motenko. Here, as always, is my co host, Mike Minkoff.
1: How's it going, Josh? And, uh, you know, we talked last week about maybe Brad Stevens being done, but a big trade, a big trade this week. This week, uh, Adam Motenko out, Rich <laughs> Jensen in. Um, a one-week trade, perhaps, but a trade, all the same.:
0: <laughs> That's right. we have special guest, Rich Jensen here from Celtics blog. one of the newer members of Celtics blog. He's uh, a writer formerly of Red's Army, but he also does some freelance work and has done some stuff with Ars Technica. Uh, he's at Rich A. Jensen on Twitter. Rich Jensen, how you doing?:
2: Doing pretty good, guys. How are you guys doing? We're
0: doing great. Let's just jump right into this. Rich, you wrote a really, really good article uh, most recently on Celtics Blog uh, What it came out Saturday, I think, um, about Paul Pierce being inducted into the Hall of Fame, but you know, kind of also a little bit about yourself, a little bit of an autobiography. Rich, tell us about this most recent article, which one person said in the comments that this was the one of the best articles they've ever read on Celtics Blog.
2: Well, I kind of took... Uh, um started off with a a riff on uh, the uh, request for adding some personal content to uh, our History Week series. And so I wanted to write a little bit about what it was like to grow up as a Celtics fan during basically the Dark Ages um, and how that was different from individuals that maybe grew up. like my dad did with you know Russell and Havlicek and those guys and even the guys that were able to be there for the entire uh, Larry Bird years Um, and then the younger guys that came in you know around the mid-2000s and I mean the Celtics have not racked up a lot of championships since then but they've been relevant I mean they have not been where they were in the mid-90s. So I wanted to write about that, and that kind of got into, you know, writing about what it's like to just kind of grow up feeling like you missed stuff, like you were born too late, and, or born in the wrong place, and then it kind of worked itself around, and I realized that that is a, the perfect, you know, metaphor for talking about Paul Pierce, because He's been out of the league for five years, and people have already basically forgotten about him, which is, you know, it's ridiculous to me that you had a guy that uh, regular season and playoffs scored dang near 30,000 points, and when you say Paul Pierce, people either remember, you know, some of his, you know, Bumps in the road as a media personality, or they're like, "Oh yeah, the wheelchair—that was hilarious! Ha ha! What a stunt!" Right. You know, and I, and I'm like, y- "You've his career. So much of his career was just flat out overlooked by people, and that's kind of you know that's kind of where it all came from."
0: Is that what you meant in your article when you said Paul Pierce's career is the basketball equivalent to flyover country?
2: Yeah yeah he like there's if you if you drive through um my favorite example is is nebraska because there's that's a exactly inter- the
1: state that came to mind for me <laughs> i have i have driven east to west across nebraska oh boy <laughs> there is
2: there is a stretch of i-80 that is that is as straight as an arrow for like 50 miles and if you and so people drive through that and they're like there's nothing here And it's like, well, yeah, there's nothing there because they put the interstate in the most boring part of the state because that's the cheapest and flattest and easiest place to put a road. And it's like Paul Pierce, what people are doing with Paul Pierce right now is like they look at his career scoring average and it wasn't even 20 points a game. And they're like, this guy is nothing special. His, you know, points per game average isn't, you know, it's not even over 20. Um, He only won one title. He needed to have Garnett and Allen around him to win that title. Um, You know, uh, LeBron James took his team to the woodshed in game six of the Eastern Conference finals and basically ended, you know, his run. And that's, there's so much more that's there if you just actually look for it.
1: I thought the the article, the kind of metaphors that you used, were really uh, just such a such a nice fit, um, and, and how you're characterizing it now. I mean, Paul Pierce, right? It, it's kind of like Benjamin Button, right? There's this kind of fleeting moment in time where kind of the variables lined up for him, uh, and mm-hmm. and kind of kind of like how you uh, discuss dances with wolves in your article, and you know, people should check out the article and read it in full. It's it's really extremely well woven together rich um but you know it 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 makes it easy for people to kind of like pierce had this pinnacle where you know he went head to head with an emerging lebron james and and came out on top he went head to head with an in his prime kobe bryant and came out on top um and like you're saying like that that gets a little bit lost in the shadows lost in the wayside because of You know the lackluster start to his career because of the the kind of calamity that was the celtics uh general management for a decade on and then uh, towards the end of his career you know he bounced around to a couple of teens and then he had the you know this stuff with espn recently um and yeah people just kind of remember it's interesting what they choose to remember and 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 similarly interesting what they what they seem to forget
0: so I want people to not forget how good he was. Let's try to remember how good he was. <clears throat> I'm curious what your thoughts are, Rinch, on, on, on where he ranks kind of in this list. I feel like Paul Pierce was better than Reggie Miller. I think he was better than Grant Hill overall. I feel like he was better than Vince Carter. I also feel like he was better than T-Mac. But when you compare him to guys like Kobe, LeBron, Dwayne Wade... I don't think he was as good as those guys and and, or, and but he always competed and it was almost like their best competition um without being, you know, at that top tier level. Um when it comes to Iverson, I feel like that's the age-old debate at least from the Celtics fan perspective. You know, internationally Iverson was more recognizable and um had more juice to his game, but I feel like it's debatable that Paul Pierce was better than him too. Where do you stand on this?
2: Well, I think, you know, Reggie Miller is an interesting comp because I think Paul Pierce was a better Reggie Miller. And then Vince Carter is another great comp because I think one of the things that gets that people lose track of in terms of Pierce versus like say Vince Carter is like Carter was a more electric player but and i haven't i haven't looked at the the numbers to to back this up but my gut instinct is that pierce pierce was a better all-around ball player like if you if you needed a guy that would be good at both ends of the court and could still be a volume scorer you would prefer pierce over Vince Carter, and it's it's interesting because they were drafted, you know, um, in the, they came out of the same draft. In fact, mm-hmm. Carter was taken what fifth, fourth, something like that. In yeah, uh, he, yeah he was taken um, ahead
0: of Pierce.
2: Yep, him and uh, Nowitzki um, both came out ahead of uh, Pierce. But yeah, like he was he's he was better than than Reggie Miller. I think he was he was the player that Reggie thought he was, um, hmm. and. Then, you know, going on to um, like Kobe, LeBron, um, Dwayne Wade, um, I think in that in that sphere of those three guys, I think Dwayne Wade has the shakiest case to be there. And I would put Pierce kind of like, I would put him in the same um, class as Dwayne Wade in that both of them, I mean, they needed to have guys around them, um, and I, I don't think that was as much the case as in his prime, LeBron, or or Kobe.
1: I think that I think that's pretty fair, uh, Rich. I, I just for for the record, I won't I won't list out the stats, but I did just pull up on Stathead the the Paul Pierce versus Vince Carter kind of career player comp. Their their numbers over the duration of their career are like eerily similar, kind yeah. of across the board. Um, uh, whether you're looking at kind of uh, kind of gross totals or um, or per per 36 minutes, it, it, it's pretty remarkable. Like uh, Vince Carter's total points, twenty six thousand seven twenty eight. Paul Pierce's total points. I think this is regular season only, uh, twenty six thousand three ninety seven. Um, they're per 36 minutes. Vince Carter averaged 20 points per 36. Paul Pierce, 20.7. Uh, very similar in rebounds and in assists, identical in assists. Total rebounds, 5.1 for Vince Carter, 5.9 for Pierce. So, you know, uh, th- that's a very interesting comp. And I think it's interesting as well, Josh, because, uh, you know, Carter, Carter eked out what an extra kind of ham- handful of years at the end of his career, kind of reinventing who he was as a player on the court. Um, becoming like uh, uh, a really, really solid ro- um, role player for what those Mavericks teams, I think, and then Atlanta for a couple of years. Um, and and Pierce, Pierce had a little bit of a role player uh, kind of ebb out to his career. But, you know, I think what, what the key differentiator for the two, and I think this comes into the other comparisons um, on the list, and, and at least for some of them, is that Pierce was able to elevate his game at the highest level, in the highest leverage moments, um, and you know he was indisputably, you know, integral, the second best player on that championship team, um, and made made some of the absolute biggest plays and the absolute biggest moments uh, through that playoff run. Yeah,
0: I mean it's yeah. it's it's Pierce was was that good. I mean we're talking about some of the best players of all time, you know, and and one of the the. I think, unsung traits that Pierce had that I was always impressed with was he was really good at blocking other people's jump shots. Like, very little known, maybe a low-impact type of stat, too, but it's one of those things that's really difficult to do. You know, he wasn't one of those guys who would have chased down blocks at the rim like LeBron, but he would just one-on-one be guarding you, and you do whatever move and go up into your jump shot, and Pierce would still be there on you, and he'd block your shot. And that that was really impressive to me early in his career, and kind of
2: stayed with him. Uh, Daniel uh, Labovski's article um, that uh, that ran yesterday, um, you know, really highlighted his, um, you know, Pierce's ability to step up. And I mean, that was, um, and that was there. That was there almost from the get go. Um, his ability to um, play better the more that was at stake and you know that's something that you know as an all-around you know player start to finish um, Kobe was a better player but Kobe's reputation you know is based off of what he did in the clutch and Pierce was as good as Kobe was and Entry. that, yeah. you know, that people forget about that. I mean, the and one of the things that I admired about Pierce because everybody, you know, everybody's got their spots. Like Ray Allen, you know, the uh, the corner, not quite in the corner, but there's that this basically the spot where he hit the uh, go-ahead basket against the Spurs in 2013. Yeah. Um, yep. That was his spot, like he was going to hit that and what i liked about pierce was his three point shot that was his automatic spot was pretty much as far away from the basket and as awkward a shot as you can get and it was the elbow <laughs> right up you know and that was his that was where he hit that last shot against the uh, Celtics in his in his last game in the in the garden with the clippers yep. and you know, and but that was that was his spot and if he got the ball there, you knew you were getting the basket out of the deal. Left side elbow, you know.
1: Left side elbow, yeah, that was his that was his playground. He was either getting that jumper or getting to the free throw line.
0: You you, you wrote in your article that my dad grew up with Russell Kuzi, Heinsohn, Havlicek, but you grew up with D Brown, Reggie Lewis, Rick Fox, and Brian Shaw. So you're in the same era as all of us. So we wanted to dedicate this show to anybody who's listening who actually remembers the 1980s. First of all, um, but it's just just a, such an interesting dichotomy between what your dad got to watch and what you got to watch. So, like, as we talk about how great Paul Pierce was, you know, number two scorer all time in Celtics history, where would you rank him among the all-time Celtic greats? Is he in your top five Celtics of all time?
2: Well, I kind of, I kind of take that. That's I I have lived my entire life in the Midwest, and uh, we have a a personality trait here that kind of ranges from um, non-confrontational to passive-aggressive. And it's like trying to tell the difference between two different shades of of green. You know, you can kind of get there. But um, my non-confrontational approach to this is like, I've got Russell in the number one spot, and I've got Bird in the number two spot, and then there's a whole bunch of guys that are tied for third, and that's that is where I would put Pierce. Pierce, you know, you can put him on, you know, in any. My nephew over the uh, weekend asked me for a, a starting five, you know, all-time Celtics uh, list, and. And I gave him what I thought was an actual, you know, an actual starting five that you would put in a game. So, um, had uh, Dennis Johnson in as a point guard because you need defense if you're going to play an actual game. And, you know, I think you could put um, you could put Pierce in um, into a, a starting lineup um, with, you know, two or three other Celtics greats against another team made of Celtics greats and you'd have a decent shot of winning because of Pierce. I mean he's he's not in that that caliber of I mean Russell is basically in a class by himself. I mean the the only way you could win more as a basketball player than Bill Russell is by playing for the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. And then you've got Larry Bird, who was, I mean, he could have played, basically the position that he played is based on his height. You know, if he would have been shorter, he would have been every bit as good, but he would have been a two guard or he would have been a point guard. If he had been taller, he would have been a center, and he would have been every bit as good as he was. Um, And Pierce, you know, I don't think he's quite that good. But he's in that next tier.
0: So you'd put him with the McHales and Havliceks and coozies and that yep. tier
2: there. I would. That's that's where I'd put him. My dad would put Havlicek up with Bird, but I can't agree with uh, with the old man on everything. So that was my next question: Is what would your dad say about your answer? You would agree on uh, on Russell and Bird, and he would put Havlicek in third. Um, That is actually, um, I uh, touched base with him this morning just to make sure I had everything straight on how he became a Celtics fan, because it's a transitive property. How I became a Celtics fan is how he became a Celtics fan. So that's the story that you really want to hear. Yeah, tell us about it. And so uh, he grew up in a town with 200 people in it in the middle of of eastern south dakota and they didn't get a tv the family didn't get a tv until he was like in late in junior high or uh, maybe he was even in high school when they got a tv and uh, i asked him what it was like to watch you know black and white footage of basketball players on a small screen and he said we had a twenty one inch and so they had a they had a TV that probably weighed as much as a car in their living room and the uh, the games that were on most were Celtics games, so he grew up in a town of two hundred people, and South Dakota is like Indiana um in that, if you've seen Hoosiers, you kind of know what basketball was like in South Dakota, too, at that period. And every, every kid played basketball because the only thing you needed to play basketball was a flat spot and a hoop. And I'm quoting him directly on that. Flat spot and a hoop was all you needed. And beginning in, like, fifth or sixth grade, um, they, they would have grade school tournaments. So you're in fifth or sixth grade, and you would be playing other little, you know, other kids your age from the area. And then you get to high school, and South Dakota had two basketball classes. Class A was the 32 largest schools. Every other school was in class B, and there were a couple hundred at the time. So, um, and the the school that he went to he was the Val Victorian in a class of I think fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. Um and so all they had was a all they had was a basketball team. They didn't have a football team. So and he played he played point guard. Um and so like he the players that he looked up to were guys like Bob Cousy, who was also a little point guard. And he kind of followed the career of um, John Havlicek when he was at Ohio State. So he was a fan of Havlicek before the Celtics drafted him. Gotcha. And, yeah, and so he just kind of, he got into the Celtics because he was playing basketball. They were on TV. They were playing basketball. You know, there were guys there that you could model your game after. And he followed them um, got married and started a family in the early seventies and kind of got disconnected with the team for a little while, picked them back up with the, uh, when they got bird, um, and, uh, you know, uh, managed to bring at least two of his three sons into the Celtics fold. Um, my, uh, youngest brother, um, he was born in '83, and he ended up being a Bulls fan. And uh, he's actually still got a uh, card that uh, Phil Jackson autographed for him. Okay,
0: and then and you're the newest member to Celtics Blog. It seems like how how did you get here? You were at Red's Army, but I mean, how did you how did you get into writing about basketball and
2: uh, land here at Celtics Blog? Well, I had been writing to a you know greater or lesser extent um for quite a while and uh, a journalist uh here in sioux falls um told me that what i had you know because i would um we'd exchange emails and so forth about the uh he was the beat reporter for the college that i um, graduated from and and uh, he he said that I was, you know, what I was doing was good enough um to publish. So um I contributed a little bit to a blog that he ran with a a guy who is unfortunately a huge Lakers fan. Um but uh, uh I picked up um the blog uh the blogging gig with Red's Army. I don't remember when I started. I I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I started before they got Isaiah Thomas, because I think I wrote about that trade when it happened. Um, But when they folded, and I mean, Red's Army was a great place to write for. Um, I don't know who ever read any of the articles that I wrote. Um, I don't know how many clicks any of them got but that was okay because i got to write you know what i wanted to write i mean the nice part about it was that there was very minimal editorial oversight and they kind of you know encouraged a sort of a gonzo writing style where you were free to bring in any outside subject you wanted as long as you could you know make it work and relate to the Celtics. And uh, when they um, folded up um, earlier this year, um, I decided to ask Jeff if he um, could use somebody to write maybe an article a week for him. And the reason why I went to Celtics blog, there are two reasons. Um, I have a minimal Twitter Presence. I don't even know if I've got 400 followers, and but one of the first ones that I got after I started writing for Red's Army was Jeff Clark, and so that was like a that was a plus. Um, the fact the other fact is that um, unlike Red's Army, um, Celtics Blog has one at least one writer that's credentialed with the Boston Celtics. And that was something that I wanted to do, that if I was going to move from Red's Army and keep writing for the Celtics, I wanted to go to an outlet that was a step up from Red's Army in terms of, like, presence and, you know, professionalism.
0: Yeah. Well, the article that you wrote recently, um, it's entitled Greatness, Glory, and the Truth. Do you have other articles that you think are at that level or that you're also really proud of, even if we're going to another site to find them? Is there uh, any other articles that you'd want to plug here?
2: There there were two articles. Uh, there was two articles. One of them, I'm afraid, has disappeared into the ether. Uh, Evan Turner got a, um, got a triple-double off the bench, um, and he was the first Celtic to do that since a guy named... Um, Hambone Taylor I think and I wrote I wrote an article about him um, that I re- I enjoyed writing it um, uh, so hopefully that translates into it being a good read and the other article that I really you know put a lot of heart and soul into was when we were doing the retired numbers project over it um Red's army. What we did is leading up to Paul Pierce's number retirement, um, every Saturday we, you know, me, John Corrales, and Mike Dynan uh wrote um a piece on one of the Celtics retired numbers. And I did Reggie Lewis. And like I've got two answers when people ask you what's your favorite movie and I've got the stock generic I don't have to explain it answer um which is Casablanca and then I've got an answer that okay well but I'm gonna have to explain why this is my favorite movie and it's uh Wild Strawberries it's a Swedish film um and with Celtic with the Celtics who's your favorite all-time Celtic it's Paul Pierce. But if you want the explanation, it's Reggie Lewis. And, you know, Reggie Lewis, just he, his career numbers were comparable to Clyde Drexler's. And for a lot of that, he was the third option on offense for the team. Yeah. and that article i can post a link to it on twitter after the uh after the podcast um but yeah that he you know there were two tragedies there what happened to him and then what happened to his reputation after the fact right where they call him a, a
0: drug abuser even though he wasn't
2: yeah yeah nobody nobody had come forward even anonymously to say that they had ever seen him use cocaine and the same doctor the same doctor that met with him and told him that he was healthy enough to continue to play basketball came came around after he was dead and said that the only way that could explain the damage to the heart that he saw was because of you know was through cocaine yeah and RIP Reggie yeah yeah and that and that article hit that article hit I don't even think it hit a month before his number was being retired by the Celtics
0: Uh, would you put would you put Reggie up on that same like second tier level as Paul Pierce and and those other Celtic greats, or would he be one
2: below I would, if, if he would have played out his entire career, I think we would have seen a guy that would have been comparable to Paul Pierce with the exception that, like, the way they approached the game was so different because Pierce, you know, Pierce took a bow at Madison Square Garden, you know. I mean, that was, that was Paul Pierce. Reggie would never have done that but reggie was the first guy that i sat and watched that made what the pros do look easy like he made basketball look like it wasn't any work at all i mean there was an effortlessness to his game that you don't often see there was no showboating there was no showmanship he was just, he was as smooth a player as, you know, you could, you could hope to have on your team.
0: I like these types of questions because when they were building the 50 greatest players team, I think it was in 1998 or 1997, they put Shaq on the team, even though he'd only been in the league for like three or four years. My question to you is, would you put Jason Tatum anywhere close to these guys on the all-time Celtics list, even though he's only been in the league for a few years?
2: You know, I was, I was looking at that and and I thought, you know, it would be very very difficult to put him in the top two. Um, it would that would just be. It would be really premature to do that.
0: Sure, sure. What about um, the third tier though? The but, same tier as Paul Pierce and Reggie? Yeah. Lewis?
2: That's that. I think you know. I think that is if he stays with the Celtics I think that's where he's at I mean he is in the um, you know class of Celtics that are that people are gonna have discussions about where they fit on a top five you know I think that's where he will end up because like one of the things about both Tatum and Brown is they both, want to be better like they've got that drive and that's the thing that like I saw they did the uh, uh, NBA I forget which um, outlet it was um, did their redraft of the 2016 draft and Ben Simmons still went first (laughs) and I thought you know Ben Simmons if you look at his rookie numbers and you look at his numbers right now, I mean, there's been almost no change. He has not gotten better. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a legitimate knock against him that he, you know, he doesn't have that drive to be a better, a better ball player. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are not built that way. They, they want to improve their game. And so both of them, they are going to go as far as their natural ability takes them because the mentality is already where it needs to be. That is
0: the right answer, Rich. Ding, ding, ding. You win a <laughs> prize. Jason Tatum does belong on that third tier or that second tier, in my opinion, um, along with guys yep. like Paul Pierce. Uh,
1: I, I agree with Rich's phrasing. A little more, like he said, if he stays, he could get there. Like he said, I'm if comfortable, he stays
0: with the Celtics,
1: with the Celtics, he could get there. I'm comfortable with that. Like he'll be in that conversation. I'm not. I would not personally be comfortable with saying Jason Tatum is there today. I don't think. I think he's got a little bit more to show and a little more growth to achieve. But I, I fully believe that he can do it.
0: Right, that's why I like this question so much, because it was the same thing with putting Shaq, you you know, a lot of people said, you can't put Shaquille O'Neal on the all-time greatest players. He's only played X number of years. You know, he's got more growth. He's got, what? and and there was the whole other half of the country was like, no, this guy is legitimate. He's shown he's legitimate, and he's going to, you know, we're assuming he's going to keep being one of the greatest players that the league, you know, of his generation, which I think Jason Tatum is proving that he is right now.
2: Yeah, I think um, Tatum is like he is. He is very, very close. Um, one of the things that um, Corrales uh, wrote about at the end of the season was uh, how Giannis kept passing to players that were missing their shots during. Um, I think it was the it was either the second round or it was the conference finals and one of the last articles i did for red's army was uh, red's army was basically you know an open letter to both tatum and brown which is even if these guys are missing shots you've got you've got to keep passing the ball to them because if you don't pass the ball and if you telegraph way ahead of time that you are going to keep the ball then you're doing the defense's work for them. You know, if you have the ball, you've got the first mover advantage against the defense because they can guess, that your defender can guess what you're going to do, but they don't know. But the moment you telegraph what you're going to do, then the defense, you've already done their work. They can, you know, and that's that's the aspect of Tatum's game that he needs to improve is he needs to... um, make it less obvious what he's going to do before he does it but as I mean as a scorer he can score from you know every spot on the court Um, he's a good defender Um, he's a plus defender you're not losing anything by. you don't have to hide him basically you don't have to find somebody to cover for him at the other end of the court so, yeah, I mean, he just, there's a, there's a few things that he needs to work on. And I say that knowing that he's a guy that is going to work on them if, they're, if he's both told this is what you need to work on and if he's given a path to work on to get that. And I think that's one of the areas where, you know, coaching is so important and, and overlooked in how these players get better is it's one thing for us as fans uh, to say, hey, you need to stop doing this. But, you know, these guys wouldn't do it if they knew how to not do it. So somebody has to tell them and show them how to improve how they play and give them a path to get better. So
0: what do you think about this year's team? Because, you know, I want to know your predictions for this year. Adam and I are a little bit, uh, have a little bit more tempered expectations. I think that we're looking at a, a, a season kind of in the 40s and wins. And I think Mike is a little bit more um...
1: I'm a, I'm a little more bullish. I I was I was willing to go pretty full green tinted sunglasses um and uh and 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 predict the Celtics up to the four fourth seed in the east with uh ahead of Miami and Philadelphia in our in our tiering of the Eastern Conference uh episode and, and... last week.
0: And while there's some big question marks, I think for this team, there's there's a lot of optimism because we got these two young stars in in this league right now. There's a lot of teams that are just led by two stars and that have the ability to win a championship, as we saw with the Lakers uh, most recently. And so, what what are your thoughts? What are your predictions on this year's season?
2: Um, I I think a lot of people are are selling too low on the uh, on the Celtics um, coming into this season because last season was so bizarre i mean Mm -hmm. it was bizarre in a different way than the season before it was bizarre um but it was just you know you had um the the fall off um between uh the most available celtic the second most available celtic and the third most available celtic like historically that kind of follows a nice line where player avail- availability starts with a you know a few you know a couple guys that are there almost all season and then you kind of it kind of tapers down for your rotation guys and there was there was like a drop off a cliff from second to third like i think Marcus Smart was had the third most games appeared in and he still missed like 20 some in a 72 game season and there was, you know, you had but the that. Year, the year before, had,
0: we also had a team that, with where the starting five, didn't play together for more than, like, what, five games or something like that. You know, so it's been two years in a row, I feel like, of, of inconsistent
2: yeah. lineups. Yeah. And, you know, you've got and one of the things that happened that, that Stevens did um, in. Uh, the uh, in the 2019-2020 season was um, the starting five didn't get a lot of burn together um, because the bench was so inexperienced. And so he basically had to um, stagger minutes for the starters so that he could keep like two starters on the court at all times the whole 48 minutes of the game. And I think that is one of the big changes from last year to this year, because I think any responsible coach, I don't think that was a Stevens thing. I think that was an any good coach looking at that starting five and that bench would have done something similar. So Udoka getting a an experienced bench is, I think, going to be huge as far as the starters being able to gel as a cohesive unit, which didn't happen last year or the year before, um, as you pointed out. Um, And I think, I tend to think that, you know, you've got Milwaukee, and then you've got Brooklyn, but I've got question marks about Brooklyn, um, about health, basically, um, with them. I'm I'm not I I'm not writing them into the you know top two spot in pen at this point to you know um okay. put it that way. So I think you know I think they honestly could you know they could be if everything goes right if they are very healthy and Udoka turns out to be, you know, a first class coach, I think they could be, you know two, three seed, um, if, you know, again, things would have to go their way for that to happen. But I don't, you know, I don't put their ceiling, um, you know, in the middle of the pack uh, for the Eastern Conference playoffs.
0: Well, that's what the listeners want to hear today, Rich. So I appreciate you giving <laughs> your opinion on that, man. That's what we want to hear. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day here to hop on the pod with us. And for everyone listening, thanks again. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and Coach Motenko, and our special guest at Rich A. Jensen. If you are still listening at this point in the pod, you are definitely a part of Celtics Pride.